All right, man, let's let her rip. So hey, everybody, uh, welcome to the Spirit of Time podcast. This is a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the bon vivant stuff that overlaps with our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to rate us on the podcast platform of your choice. It really helps. So Greg, what's up? How you doing, bud? Doing well, Matt. How are you today? Dude, I cannot complain. I think we get one day of nice weather and we're going to get a, uh, a few days of rain. You know, for those of you listening, Greg and I are in Southern California. And for us, like real winter hard weather is like 50 degrees. So I, we probably shouldn't complain. No, but we will take your sympathy, um, considering that it is not what you probably expect the weather to be here uh, at the moment. But, you know, it's part of what we deal with here. And uh, we're up for the uh, up for the task. Yeah, although I think both of us are pretty um we're from cold weather environments originally, right? I'm from Chicago and aren't you from PA? Philadelphia. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't miss it. No, I wouldn't I would not uh trade our weather back and uh I think we're certainly quite happy uh to be uh in the elements where we are. Absolutely. Well, hey, um we're like a minute into this bad boy and this is a watch-oriented podcast and I don't think it's allowed that we proceed without doing a wrist check. So what have you got on wrist today, bud? Well, on the wrist today, uh, Bulova Oceanographer Series D, um, 36 millimeter, you know, uh, unpolished to my eye. Uh, and it's strapped up on uh, on uh, Horween Shell Cordovan from uh, Hovig Supply House in downtown L.A. Oh, nice. I think I have a very similar strap actually on an old Tag Heuer. I really love that watch on you, dude. That Bulova to me, um, having seen pictures of it and seen you wearing it, there's something, nothing more time on tequila than that watch. It just seems like a really cool kind of, I don't know, that 70s, you know, work a day guy vibe. Very neat. It's, uh, you know, when I, when I did acquire it, it didn't, it didn't feel like it would become as essential to, uh, to me as it has become. And I've heard that now from you and a few other folks that it almost has become synonymous, um, with me. And that's such a cool, uh, organic way, organic feeling, you know, that it wasn't something that you just forced upon and just sort of happened. Yeah. If there was a tequila based cocktail in watch form that, that would be it. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. And Matt, what are you what are you what are you wearing on the rest today? Well, so we're recording this on a Wednesday, so that means I'm pretty sure that in uh, social media world this is GS Wednesday. So I'm wearing the um the Grand Seiko, one of the seasons um not really a limited edition, it's limited production, but one of the watches that they have here in North America and the particular uh, iteration that I have is the Spring Drive spring or shunbun model it's the one with that kind of vaguely pink dial and uh yeah it's just a really really awesome watch it's the and sorry folks but as you know uh grand seiko is not particularly good with names so much as they are reference numbers and it is a a soup sandwich so it's the sbga 413 and again it's the uh the spring just a super super cool watch i took that off the titanium bracelet and I've got that on kind of a nice, almost like a honey brown leather. It's really supple um, from Mica at Vintager Straps, and it just wears very nice. And it's a, a lot more, I think, flexible, no pun intended, on a strap. And you know, off of that really lightweight titanium, it just looks completely different. 
It's a vibe, dude. I like it. I, uh, I have seen that on your wrists. I have also enjoyed that on my own wrists and it is a real pleasure. That dial is something to behold in person. I think quite honestly of the, of the seasons, it's my favorite. And, 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 and the way you have it strapped up right now really, really works for it. Well, thanks dude. I like it. It, uh, it's a favorite. It gets a lot of wrist time, especially in cool weather. Hey, speaking of cool weather and, you know, just kind of chilling, what, uh, what do you have in the glass today? We are going to try to focus as much as possible on unpacking the booze and the beer and all that stuff in this podcast. What are you drinking today? Well, if it's uh, probably no surprise, I've got a little mezcal in the glass, uh, drinking just something kind of easy and neat. It's a uh, Malbien Espadin, uh, great price point. Folks will use it uh, in, in mixing, and you can certainly, of course, sip it as well. Made by some uh, really fantastic folks. Um, you know, lots a lot. It changes, you know, as, uh, as a lot of small batch um, things do. And so this one is tending to be a little more high on the roast uh, than the last few I've had. I'm actually even picking up a little bit of almost a petrol um, kind of flavor note to it. And, of course, some of the citrus uh, that you would expect from sort of a classic Espadine profile, but it's a wonderful pour. And I think most folks could, uh, could acquire it and, and enjoy it. Awesome, man. I, of course, I'm not so much of a Philistine that I, well, no, I guess I am. I'm going to just ask you, does it have that Band-Aid smell? No, no, I would, I would say, I was, I would say <laughs> it does not. <laughs> Quite nice. the opposite. Good, good. So it's approachable. Well, where'd you get it? You know, this one I actually picked up from my friends uh, at Maestro Pasadena, a really fantastic restaurant uh, in Pasadena, just uh, just off Colorado. And of course, they've been able to sell bottles during everything that's been going on. So that's really helpful to both them, you know, the brands, as well as us as uh, patrons. But um, I've seen it at some stores as well. I think you should be able to pick it up at a lot of places, especially around Southern California, um, but further away. Well, I'll give it a look because I'm kind of down toward the bottom of the bottle that I'm working on now. So anyway, for myself, I'm afraid it's much more pedestrian. I've got um, what I would consider kind of my desert island beer, which is the Paul Anner Hefeweizen. And if you're only going to pick one, I mean, I think a really good classic Hef like that from Paul Anner is the way to go. And, you know, um, it's available everywhere, pretty much anywhere you can get an imported beer. But it's one of my favorites. It's just got that really perfect kind of banana clove profile and goes with everything. And it seems to really do well, I think, whether you're talking about a cold weather, kind of a fortifying beer, something that goes really well with food or, you know, something that kind of is quaffable in hot weather, which we obviously we get in Southern California too. So if you could only have one beer, this would probably be on my short list. That's always a fun topic, right? Your desert Island, whether it's, uh, you know, take one watch with you or your desert Island, uh, beer or, you know, just a number of things. It's such a, a fun exercise to do. And for that one to be up there, uh, for you, uh, it's pretty high praise. Yeah. You know what? I'll always have, I'm kind of a closet Germanophile. So, I mean, I'll always, you know, gravitate toward that classic style of beer from Germany. So whether it's, you know, um, Pilsner or the Hefeweizen or, you know, a, uh, a Merzen or something like that. But this is kind of just one of my favorites. And, you know, when I saw it in the, uh, the cooler at my local bottle shop, I just picked up some. So I knew we would talk about something and this is just a good one to start 
you know, going, uh, riffing on. And what speaking kind of glassware of, do you like to put that in? I'm just curious what you pour that out into. You know what? I'm not really, I don't stick to any one thing. I mean, in this case, I just have like a, uh, one of these tchotchke Pilsner glasses, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, got the Bavarian flag. I, I think I sent a picture of it on our group thread to our friend, Summer Eskimo, like me. I mean, he's a sucker for anything, you know, German, anything Japanese. Greg, are you back? Oh, yes, I'm here. Did, did, I couldn't tell if we lost that. Oh, sorry about that. I'll try to edit that out. I think we had a little dead space. Sorry yeah. about that. So we'll pick back up here or maybe we'll release it unedited. I don't know. But the bottom line is um, we wanted to introduce, use this episode kind of early on in the game for us to introduce what we kind of think is going to be kind of a a fun, regular feature, something we're going to call cocktail matchmaker. And it's going to work like this. So we've had a number of questions from friends of ours. And in this case, it's going to be my question. So for the you know our listeners and friends, some of you may know through Greg's profile, um, Greg has got a, a pretty high level of familiarity with tequila and mezcal and cocktails based on same. And I tend to be more of a craft beer guy and a California wines guy, um, not you know at the insider or expert level, but you know knowledgeable lay people. And we have periodically we'll have people ask us, hey, what's a good cocktail for X? situation or X kind of food. So this is kind of the the question I'm going to ask Greg and Greg, I'm going to ask you to riff on this and provide me a recommendation. So this is what I'm going to be cooking. You know, I got, uh, I won one of those big green eggs and I, you know, have been out with that thing anytime it's not raining. I'm going to be cooking a, I, I don't know how to describe this except to say it's uh, essentially a stuffed Anaheim chili peppers on the grill. So I just do kind of a soft smoke with this thing. I split them open and I stuff these things with a smoked turkey and then usually some kind of semi-hard cheese, like a manchego, something like that. And then I'll smoke these things and just until they start to blacken up. And it's a pretty hearty appetizer. And before I serve this, I like to have something that's kind of in keeping with that Latin theme. Um, you know, a cocktail that's going to be based on tequila or mezcal. But my concern is rather than just, you know, let her rip and and you know, doing something crazy. I want something that's going to play well kind of with the smoke, but also the spice. I I really want to avoid that mouthfeel that you get when you, you know, are drinking coffee when you're eating Mexican food. It's just not, not good. Um, and so what, what do you have in mind? Is there anything that would work with something like that? Well, I think I, I, I've certainly decided already that in order to share this with you, I, I have to come over for, for, a, a tasting next to the the food. That's just a necessary, just to make sure it all worked together. I mean, how can you pass that up? I think we have, yeah, socially distanced grilling, uh, safe grilling is going to be in our future soon. So I was thinking about, I was thinking about this and you made a great point. Obviously you want to play off of the flavors, um, you know, that are going to be served. You certainly don't want to over, overdo it. Um, and so for this one, I was thinking really, this was a, a big hit recently over here in our house too. Um, a spicy pineapple margarita, tequila based, um, you know, well, first I was thinking mezcal, uh, to, to play off the smoke, but I don't think you want to overdo it. I don't think you want to overdo it. And I think, you know, going with a, a tequila Blanco keeps the profile a little cleaner and, you know, doesn't, uh, give you smoke on the cocktail, smoke on the entree. And, um, but they still play off each other well. So, um, you know, two ounces of Blanco, uh, two ounces of fresh pineapple juice. I, 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 I 
everybody out there, it seems like it's that much more work to use fresh juice when you're making your cocktails. I promise you it's not. I know it's a little more than just throwing, you know, the, the, um, the Langers or the, you know, uh, whatever bottled juice you can grab from the shelf. And it always works in a pinch, but if you can take just a few extra minutes and get some fresh juice, it makes a world of difference. So two Absolutely. ounces of pineapple juice, ounce of, you know, lime juice. It's basically a classic margarita uh, uh, recipe really now at this point. And, um, you know, simple syrup, orange liqueur. And, and where I think what we'll do here is muddle some peppers, you know, grab some of those peppers, muddle them in the shaker, uh, let that flavor infuse into the cocktail, strain them out. And, um, and I think we've got something that's going to really play off nicely and complement, but not be this big smoke bomb, you know, of, of cocktail entree. Oh my gosh, you know, I've got all this kind of going on. And, um, you know, there'll be a little bit of, of, of spice from the peppers, but I don't think anything that's going to set your mouth on fire because you don't need that on, on both ends. Dude, I got to admit, muddling the peppers is not something I would have thought of. And that's, uh, that's like vaguely next level. Although everything for me is next level when it comes to cocktail stuff. You're, I consider you my guru. So I appreciate I'll that. Definitely, I'll definitely give that a whirl. I'll, I'll tell you, Matt, it's, you know, the world of cocktails and I'm by no means an expert. I learn every time I try something, I'm learning something. It, it seems much more daunting than it really is when you're, you know, not used to it. And so all of a sudden, if someone's, you know, suggesting that you, you know, muddle, you know, some kind of ingredient or, you know, make the fresh juice or, um, you know, make a simple syrup, even it seems like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to, I don't have time to do all this or I'm not familiar. And if you just take the time and follow, you know, some, some kind of basic recipes, you start to get, you you realize it's, it's much easier than even the recipe you described for those wonderful chilies you're about to make. Um, and, uh, and the smallest differences go a long way. Like you said, those fresh juices, I think make a cocktail really pop and people, your guests, you know, a family, whomever, they notice it. You're like, oh, wow, you, you really made something special here. And you're like, all I did was get fresh pineapple juice. The rest of it, anybody else could have done. Yeah, no, that's, I think um, I'm going to actually take you up on that and I'll let you know the results because that sounds good. And the idea of doing any kind of muddling, my wife is a, a really, really good cook. And I think the idea of kind of getting more into cocktails and preparation is something that would appeal to her too. Certainly it would to me because we're, like I said, we are our beer and wine people all day long and cocktails is kind of that undiscovered country for us. So cool. We'll let her rip and I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. I always love feedback on them too. You know, it's, it's fun to post them or share ideas with folks. And usually people say, Oh, that sounds really great. And when somebody comes back and sends you, you know, a picture of their cocktail or says, wow, I made it and everybody loved it. That to me is like the fun part too, because you get a sense of kind of, uh, uh, bringing that to somebody else's table or somebody else's bar and and getting that feedback saying, Hey, that was, that was pretty good. I I appreciate it. I made it too. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like starting somebody in the watch hobby. Oh, hey, and a, that is that is one uh, slippery slope that we've all been uh, encouraged by many many a friends. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, speaking of which, you have something new in the collection, don't you? I do. It's been quite a while, Matt. I think you know if it, if for the folks I do know out there, I keep a relatively you know tight collection. Um, I don't move a lot of pieces uh, for. A number of reasons, but things that kind of come in usually tend to stay and it tends to be a pretty 
thought out process and uh, sort of curated to some degree. Not that other folks don't, but I know, uh, you know, we all have friends. They'll say, oh, I'll grab this one, try it out. If I don't like it, I'll send it on its way. And, and that's pretty cool. I love that idea of it too, but it's just not how I, how I go about my own. So I was, I had been eyeing up bronze. I just I had decided a little while ago um, that it had to be bronze in the collection. And if you listen to the conversation I had with our friends at the Out of Time podcast, uh, not too long ago, I think I alluded to it. And all, as we were talking about the collection itself, and, and I said, I'm really into bronze right now. I don't have anything that fits that profile and green dial. So I was looking at bronze, green dials, and thanks to you and some other friends, I was made a great introduction to, to now our friends at Feldmar, a uh, watch company over, over here in Los Angeles, and brought home an Oris, uh, big crown, pointer date, 80th anniversary, and it is spectacular, Matt. Those watches are really great. I The pointer date design for me is something that... Um... I, what, I, I don't know. It's only a matter of time before I'm going to have one. And I think what really speaks to me about that watch so much is just how classic it looks. That watch is going to look good in 50 years, in 150 years. It is just not going to be the kind of thing that um, that falls out of style, for lack of a better way to put it, I guess. it's It just is such a cool looking watch. And in bronze, I'm I'm interested to see it, you know, maybe once a month. You should take a picture of it and you know, do like one of those time-lapse things every week to see how that patinas or patinates. I don't know what the the nerd appropriate term for that is, but, you know, just get a sense of like how it changes from when you took it out of the box. Now, um, did you say you got the green one or the one with kind of more of the slate blue dial? You said green, right? Yeah, green dial. It, I had decided early on um, that I didn't have anything green in the collection and I, I, it'll be interesting too to see. You know, I've I've heard a few folks say, "Yeah, oh, green dial's a fad," and, and you know that you won't see as many green dials out there in a couple of years, just like we've seen other, fat, you know, uh, watch design um, aesthetics kind of come and go. And we'll see. I, I I agree with you. I think it's it's a it's timeless in, in its design. And I think mistakenly, just making an assumption when I was looking at it and decided to bring it home, I thought it was going to is much more versatile. And um, and wearable than I ever really thought. You know, in some ways, thinking to myself, okay, bronze case, green dial. You know, this is going to stand out much more than, of course, you know, a black dialed uh, kind of stainless um, kind of combo would. And, sure. And it just blends in. It just blends in. I think because the, the the combination of the bronze and the green is so warm, and uh, and on a brown strap, everything just kind of ties together. It, it comes across kind of casual, but with a little bit of sophistication to it. Anyway, the point is, it's eminently more wearable than I thought it would be, um, which didn't deter me even from the outset, obviously. But I've been pleased that it can, it's on my wrist more often than, than not at this point. Yeah, no, it's a really, really good looking watch. Um, that's one of those things. I, well, and you get some water resistance too out of it, right? Yeah, it does. It's, 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 it's got, you know, you don't have to take it off. Uh, you don't have to baby it of course. Um, which is great. Um, uh, it's got great character. The details are really great. I, I don't think I fully appreciated them until I started paying closer attention to them on my wrist. You know, you've of course got to get the coin edge bezel, uh, which is sort of duplicated on the case back as well. Uh, the handset is just chock full of character, the numerals. Uh, I, I love the numerals that the, the four, especially, just has so much character on it. And, and it's just, uh, it's got a lot going for it. And, and 
you actually helped me kind of even push over the edge a little bit by saying, listen, the, uh, the history behind the piece itself, you know, this isn't something they just dreamt up last week, which of course wouldn't have been a problem either, but you know, it's just nice to know that it's something that's been a staple of, of, uh, their portfolio for some time. Yeah, no, it's a bitch and watch. I was about to say, and this was my reference, you know, as far as the the water resistance pieces, um, you have a pool, you know, and it's one of those things where you don't necessarily have to worry about taking that off. That is something that is a bugaboo for a lot of people. It certainly is for me, probably more than it needs to be. But, um, you know, mentally, uh, the idea of having at least decent water resistance is important and um, it's good that that watch has it. The other thing, of course, is just that pointer date design is it fixes the thing that like every every watch nerd likes to bitch about with every watch release. It seems like nobody likes a date on a, you know, a work a day watch. And personally, I think they're fine. It doesn't bother me. Um, and, but the way that they incorporate that with that particular that design, you know, that um, pointer date is just so clean and keeps the dial very symmetrical, very classic. And, you know, you don't have to argue with yourself, like, do I want a date at six o'clock or three o'clock or no date or, you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? I it's really cool- do. It's, it's, uh, it's the thing that you, you love it when it's done well and you really, really don't like it when it's not done well. And I think most of us would probably prefer to have it than not, but only when it's done well. And, uh, you know, it's a cool, I don't, you know, you call it a complication, of course, and it's not something that I have elsewhere. And so that was pretty neat. And, uh, you know, who doesn't love a fourth hand when it's done well? Yeah, I think they, they've done an outstanding job. I mean, Oris is definitely, you know, the uh, Owen Wilson's Hansel. They're so hot right now. <laughs> That's a great reference. Yeah, totally. I did an Owen Wilson uh, mini marathon over this past weekend. Oh, okay. So give me the rundown uh, if you can, or at least give me the highlights. Oh, it, you know, it, I, it was two movies. Basically, it was um, Wedding Crashers and, uh, oh, come on, help me out. The one we, they did with Google, the title is escaping me, but... Um, uh, the Interns or something? The intern, internship. Yeah, I think it's The Internship. Yeah, just, it, you know, again, buddy comedy. It's kind of formulaic, but it's funny. I'll tell you, All I saw two comedies. I saw two comedies over the weekend, and I haven't seen a ton of them recently. And both were really good. Uh, Game Night with Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, and and I also saw The Long Shot with uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Both were really, really good. I have to give that a look. Um, my wife, in particular, likes Rachel McAdams. Yeah, it's Rachel McAdams, also from Wedding Crashers. That's right. Uh, there's the thread, and and they were both sort of rom commy, so I think you you certainly could sell it. It's uh, where it's not you know just a kind of a bro comedy. Yeah, totally. Wedding Crashers is not the kind of movie that should be up my wife's alley, but for some reason it is. It works. It's one of those whenever you know we're flipping through the channels, and you come across it. If you see it, it's like you stop. It's one of those ones that it can transcend that. And that's not easy because it, you know, it's, it's certainly a certain brand of humor, which I love too. Yeah, totally. Anyhow, why don't we move on to our next topic? So what's on the radar? I'm curious what's, uh, what, what's in your, uh, what's kind of in your, your, your rear view. Well, I guess it's forward view. It's not a rear view. We're looking ahead to it. But what, what are you looking at that's uh, on the horizon? 
You know, you've got you picked up the watch most recently with your Oris. I haven't um I haven't gotten anything. Well, I guess no, that's not really true. I mean, I did get the um the Black Bay 58. I, I was on the list for that for a minute and uh capitalized on that. That's probably going to be the only thing I add anytime soon, but I guess I don't know if this counts as being on the radar, but you know, I have a um a Rolex Explorer 2, uh, the 16570, the white one, the Polar. And I just keep toying with the idea of kind of making a lateral move and moving that watch into a five digit, like a GMT or even, you know, the outgoing GMT2C, the 116710. That was my sort of watch that got away. And every time I see one of those, um, I'm tempted to get one. And, you know, I'd probably have to move that Explorer 2 to make it happen. So, that's essentially that's what's on my radar, but I I doubt I'm gonna you know jump on that anytime real soon. So who knows? How about you? Yeah, that's that's the mental uh, gymnastics that we all <laughs> love to do, and and uh, yeah. keeps us you know fresh on the hunt sometimes. Yeah, for borrowing your GMT for a week or two definitely did not help. Um, that, in other words, that, <laughs> that, that put that like bug right back you know front and center. Yeah, the same happened. You know, we 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 love to do uh, those little swaps, and and actually, it'll be I think a fun feature that we'll do here on the pod. Uh, just checking in and, and sharing our thoughts and observations. You know, wearing wearing somebody else's watch for more than just a twenty minutes or so. And um, every time I do it, my you know my wife will say something. Wow, that really does look nice on you. And I'm like, oh, this is not helping. <laughs> right, right. And in my case, I'm like, uh, no, it's a barred watch. I, that's not mine. Don't yeah. worry. Don't worry. It's got to go back. Um, well, like you said, I, I, I'm still in the honeymoon phase and, and kind of basking in that glow. So nothing really on the on the radar in terms of um, acquiring pieces. But it, and you've actually turned me on to this before, but it didn't stick earlier. And I don't know why it did just recently. But now I'm on the hunt for vintage watch print ads, um, most specifically tied to each watch that I own, which I think would be, you know, the obvious and fun connection to that, but just in general, vintage watch print ads, really fun to try and hunt these down. Yeah. I sort of started to go down that rabbit hole with the beginning of COVID. You know, we were moved out of the house while our house was being renovated and expanded. And we spent the first maybe two months of quarantine here in the Los Angeles area, like living out of a hotel and out of a suitcase. And when we you know, I was just so stir crazy not doing anything, you know, other than trying to work from a laptop at a hotel desk, which is a nightmare. But once we got back into the house and I had some space back to myself, I, you know, found myself spending time looking at Ad Patina. You know, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with his feed. And um, ended up, you know, getting like first one, then two, then three, then four. So I've got a number of, <laughs> of pieces of his ad copy, right? Like the cool old Rolex ads for um both the explorer and for GMT master and you know I've got the idea of what I want to do to make kind of a, a nice wall hanging you know framed kind of you know piece of art basically for over you know the desk where I have the computer and I'm doing my work from home stuff haven't gotten around to putting it all together yet but I did get the ads so I know what you mean cuz once you start looking at stuff there's and you mentioned Hovig's earlier she has quite a bit of that stuff too and it's not just Rolex. I mean, it's, you know, uh, Universal Genève and Omega and Longines and, you know, just it, pretty much every brand has really great old ad copy from the 60s and 70s. 
it's cool. It's, it is cool. It's a, it's certainly a time capsule. And, you know, I think a lot of us probably connect with these in deeper ways. You know, if you've obviously owned that particular model or just grew up, you know, thinking about it a lot or think about it even a lot today. So it's, uh, it's fun. There's kind of this madman, madman kind of element to, you know, the, the, the advertising industry, uh, not to mention it's just another kind of, uh, adjacent thing to collect. Yeah, totally. I think we need to kind of build this out a little bit between you and me, and then we'll steadily infect some of our friends. <laughs> they can't get away from it. Yeah. When we can finally go back to doing in-person get together, I'm going to show up instead of with watches with like a big whiteboard with a bunch of ads taped to it. Like, Hey fellas, look at this. Check this out. Pretty cool. Do you think, do you think people are going to want to hang out with us or do you think they might run? Yeah, maybe the latter. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It's worth finding out. Exactly. Well, hey, should we call that kind of our uh, our final words, our last sip for this episode? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is a ton of fun uh, to to put these two, uh, well, more than two things together, but just the ability to to have this watch happy hour that we so desperately miss during these times. But again, it's all about connecting, uh, you know, passions and, 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 and pursuits. And it's a lot of fun. I love talking to you about this stuff. Well, I appreciate you, brother. It's a good time. I'm glad we can get together and you're exactly right. I mean, it feels like we're definitely missing, um, you know, some of the community, the in-person community aspect of our hobby. And that's what we're hoping to do with this. So as we build out this podcast, we, you know, hope to have guests on and talk to some of, our favorite people, you know, from around the hobby here in Southern California and maybe across the country. Um, and I know you and I have both reached out to contacts and retailers and just people who are all over the space. So we shall see how it develops. We'll have fun with it either way. Excellent. Well, thanks, man. I think with this, let's go ahead and, uh, and wrap it up. And in the meantime, for those of you listening, thanks for tuning in to Spirit of Time podcast. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.